You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Go ahead and tell someone beside you or across from you the title of my sermon this morning, Who is my neighbor? Ask them, who is my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? So we're picking up from last week's sermon. We're in a sort of mini-series talking about the story or studying the story of the Good Samaritan, answering this question, who is my neighbor? And the purpose for this uh, mini-series is to really equip us to be better, better at reflecting the love of Christ to our neighbors and sharing the gospel to the community around us in preparation for the Summer Jam picnic, which is this Monday. Hopefully everyone is excited and ready for that and is attending. Uh, but as well as some mission endeavors that we're going to uh, be embarking on as a church in the month of August. And all of this is to prepare us, to prepare us to be able to, to effectively reflect the love of Christ. Last week, we looked at uh, the beginning of the story of the Good Samaritan and how it really stems from this, this sort of dissection of the two greatest commandments that we see at the beginning of our passage. Love the Lord your God with all your, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love others like you love yourself. That's really the, the vision or, or really the motto of Plus Life, why we call ourselves Plus Life. If you remember, when we, we're called Plus Life because we believe that when our vertical relationship with God is right, meaning we've been forgiven, we've been reconciled with Christ, then our horizontal relationships with people, our family and friends, our community around us, that will get right as well. That'll come into place. When our love for God is right, then our love for others will be right as well. Um, and really, that, the, the, the fruit of truly loving others, fulfilling the second great commandment, is that we go and reflect Christ's love, go and share the gospel. The greatest expression of love a believer can communicate is to tell others about the greatest demonstration of love, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so last week, we answered this, this big question in our passage, who is my neighbor? So that we could get a, a better sense of, a better perspective of who it is that we are targeting, who, is, who it is our mission is towards. And just sort of by recap, this lawyer approaches Jesus wanting to test him. Uh, and of course, having answered his questions, this lawyer wants to justify himself a little more. And he asks this question, who is my neighbor? neighbor, and we saw this in our passage, and th really this was a, sort of a legitimate question in ancient Israel, because uh, as we talked about last week, the, the, the prevailing teachings of the Pharisees and the rabbis in Jesus' day was that only the righteous would be considered your neighbors. Only the Orthodox Jew who followed the temple laws and the sabbatical laws and the dietary laws, the righteous, they are the ones you consider your neighbor. Everybody else was an enemy. Tax collectors, prostitutes, Gentiles, Samaritans, ugh, right? Sinners, especially, they were considered your enemies. And, and, and this, this was in reference to the rabbi's teachings. They got this from Psalm 139, actually. 
a really bad interpretation of it. Psalm 139, verse 21, it says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do, do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. This is why the Pharisees and rabbis were teaching this idea. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You have heard that it was said, meaning you have heard it being taught by the rabbis and the Pharisees, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he goes on to contradict all of that, of course. So here is this lawyer asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replies with the parable of the Good Samaritan, of course. And we started to see last week that Jesus' purpose for this parable is not to specifically answer this lawyer's question, although he does, but to ask his own question. And we see that in verse 36 of our passage. He says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus is asking, he tells this parable to ask his own question, to illustrate to this lawyer and to those who are listening to us this morning how to really be a neighbor. And yet despite having these, this different intention for this parable, Jesus does answer this lawyer's question. And as we saw from our, our sermon last week, the passage shows us who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is anyone on the way. Our neighbor is anyone on the way, anyone we come across in life, in our day-to-day. Our neighbor is anyone in the way, anyone whose situation would be seemingly in- inconvenient to us, anyone we find asking for, our, for help, they are our neighbors. And finally, anyone who needs the way, anyone needing to hear the gospel, anyone lost and needing to find the, needing to find the Savior, that those are those. those those are who fit into the category of our neighbor. Now, having answered this question, who is my neighbor? This week, we seek to answer Jesus' question now. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? But sort of turn it inwards and really ask, how do we prove ourselves to be a good neighbor? And sure enough, we get the answer to that in our passage from the example of the Good Samaritan. So our hope this morning, church, like the Good Samaritan, that we prove to be good neighbors ourselves. That now that we know who our neighbor is, now we have to answer, how do we be a good neighbor to those around us? Our purpose is to be better equipped so that we can reflect and demonstrate the love of Christ to the, to the people around us and really share his Share the good news of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as ourselves. Because understand what is at stake here if we don't. This parable, though it be a a story made up by Christ about this good Samaritan, there's there's, there's real implications here, spiritually speaking. There are people who are dead in their sins, friends, family members, co-workers, classmates, the guy that you come across on the street, the, the, the woman that you ride with on the commute to work, people who are dead in their sin, spiritually dead. And as people with the hope of Christ, people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, who are ambassadors of God, of the gospel, the mouthpiece in which God makes this appeal to the nations, 
It is our responsibility to bring the gospel to the lost, to the hopeless, to the spiritually dead, to be a neighbor to the lost. And I hope this morning, what, what our hope for this morning is to learn how to effect, effectively do that. So let's learn from the Good Samaritan on, uh, um, on how do we prove to be good neighbors? How do we be good neighbors? Let's jump into our passage. Everyone say, jump for me. Amen. Let's, look, let's pick up from verse 30 of our passage. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. As we mentioned last week, if you were a, a Jew in, in Jesus' day and you're hearing the story and you heard this, this route from Jerusalem to Jericho, you would automatically think that, okay, we know this road. There's only one notorious road where people always get robbed. In, in the GTA, again, as mentioned, it's like uh, the street of Jane and Finch. That's a, a dangerous place here in, uh, in the GTA. Maybe for our friends from Alberta, right? Uh, I, I did some research. I Googled this, all right? Uh, how does Cold Lake sound, maybe, right? Notorious, maybe uh, Alberta Beach, right? Maybe a notorious place. I don't know. This is what Google said, right? It's trying to be relatable to our Alberta friends. I would have wore a cowboy hat, but, you know... I couldn't find one when I was there. Apparently my head's too big, but it's okay. So, that he, so here's this road that is mentioned, a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. They know that it's a notorious place where people got, get robbed. But thankfully, verse 31, now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, Pass by on the other side. So here are these two religious leaders, a priest who was a minister at the temple and a Levite, uh, part, of the, part of the tribe of Levites who, 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 where the priest came from and members of the priestly, ca the priestly caste. They too served at the temple. And instead of helping this half-dead man on the street, they just passed by on the other side. But thankfully, verse 33 the protagonist of our story, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Here's our first, here's our first illustration of how to be a neighbor. If we want to be a neighbor like the, good Samaritan, uh, like the Good Samaritan, rather, we need to stop to care. Stop to care. Our passage has a lot of parallels, actually, throughout the rest of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 36, it says, When Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Another parallel to this is in Luke chapter 7, when, when a woman whose son had just recently died approaches Jesus and it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. We talked about this last week, this idea of compassion. In the original Greek, the word there is splagnizomai. It's not like, it's not sympatheo, another Greek word for compassion, which where, where we get the word sympathy from. But this is a stronger word. Compassion, spagnizomai, it means to be moved in your inward parts so that you would act. Move to the point where you, move, you, 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 you act on those emotions and feelings. 
Sympatheo is simply, I feel bad. I pity this person. Here there's an action to it. But the story of the Good Samaritan doesn't just parallel these other passages that we just read because of the compassion being demonstrated here, but also because of the act of seeing. The act of seeing. Again, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, when the Lord saw this woman who was grieving about her dead son, when the Lord saw the masses, then he had compassion. They saw him. And, and in the Greek, it takes, more, it takes on a more of a metaphorical meaning, to see with the mind, to spiritually see, to, to perceive with inward perception. It's the act of stopping to actually see the person in need, not just their plight, not just their problem, not just what they're going through, but their value and worth, their identity as an image bearer of God. It's the act of stopping to see the identity of this individual that needs help. That cultivates compassion. That cultivates a sense of justice that that says, I need to do something. I need to, to help this individual out. To be a neighbor, we need to stop and see so that we can act with care. Alternatively, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, uh, verse 27, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. The the, the opposite of stopping to see is is turning a blind eye, similar to what the the priest and the Levite did. They turned a blind eye to to this half-dead man, and, and as we talked about last week, we can really do the same. It's why we don't make eye contact with the person asking for change outside the grocery store, right? Because if we see them, if we make eye contact, then there's a sense of, well, now I need to take responsibility. We'll talk more about that later. But really, when we refuse or we stop, if we don't stop to see those who are in need, really it's a pride issue. It's a pride issue. My problems are more superior to yours That's why I'm not going to help you. You think you're having trouble with one kid? Try three, right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, we looked at this last week as well. Do not, or do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the call for believers. That's the call to to look at other people more significantly than ourselves, to to esteem highly other people than ourselves, to view view someone with more value, to see someone with more importance. And a big component to that, by the way, is, as we read from that text, humility. That's the only way that we can esteem others greater. Listen, ego is blinding. Humility brings us low so that we can see others with greater esteem. There is a, I'm sure you've heard this name before, Helen Keller, a famous American author. She wrote once, I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. There's always someone sort of worse off than our own situation, but until we get out of our own Uh, out of our own ego and looking at ourselves, we cannot see the plight of others. We need to stop in order to care. Especially 
especially for those who need the gospel. As people who have been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light of God, who have eternity secured, our, 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 our state, our position is, is infinitely better than those who are lost and are spiritually dead. And I, and I don't say that to pat you on the back or to boast about our, our, our status as believers, but to put into perspective the need, the need for the lost to hear the gospel, the need for the dying, those who are going to hell, to hear the gospel, and how that need is infinitely greater than, greater than a lot of the things that we complain about in this life. And listen, maybe you're dealing with real problems. It's, it's true. Maybe you're dealing with, with, with real trials in your life. Maybe you're the, you're the man with no feet. But I, I say this lovingly, right? Your problems are not an excuse to belittle the plight of others. Your problems are not an excuse to belittle the plight of others. Again, in that great passage in Philippians chapter 2, when we're called to count others more significant than ourselves, it says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's not calling us to disregard our own trials or disregard our own problems just so that we can help others. In the process of taking care of ourselves, taking care of our own issues, we are to love on other people, care for others as well. Again, that's the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. We are to love our neighbor to the same degree as we love ourselves and we take care of ourselves. And We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. But that requires that we stop to care, stop to care. Some, some application here. Regularly pray for people. Pray for people on a regular basis. Designate certain days of the week where you pray for an individual. It doesn't, be, it doesn't have to be for everybody. Maybe pick out an individual that you're going to be praying for on, on, on a Tuesday, on a Thursday, whatever it is. But pray for people on a regular basis. Oftentimes our prayers, what we pray for, shows what we love the most, right? And oftentimes our, our main concern in our prayers is what we're going through. Are you praying for others? Are you praying for your brothers and sisters that you know are going through trials, hardships? Pray for people regularly. Here's another one. Take time out of the week to check up on people. Right? Listen, we live in the technological age. We have no excuse. Just send a text, right? Send a message. Check up on, on the brother who is struggling. Check up on a sister. We have no excuse. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, do not lose sight of the reality that people are dying and going to hell. We must remember that. Let that build urgency in us. Let that cultivate a desire to reach out to friends and loved ones. Let, let that cultivate compassion in us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 to 11 it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul is saying in that passage that knowing the judgment to come, knowing that everybody will have to stand before the throne of a holy, holy, holy God one day, 
That motivates us. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing that, that, that people will have to stand before the wrath of God, we persuade others. So if you wish to be a good neighbor, stop to care. Stop to care. Let's go back to our passage, verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Here's a second um, example of how to be a good neighbor. Sacrifice to love. Sacrifice to love. As I'm sure you all know, there, there is... There's a need to sacrifice when you love somebody. When I was uh, still dating my wife, back however many years ago now, um, every day I picked her up to drive her to, to work every day. And you know I had to endure the rough traffic, the harsh traffic of the GTA, right? So, so young people or the old people who are still dating, if you want to test how much you love for someone, drive them in the GTA. Just you know, test your love. See how long you'll last. Which, by the way, there was a study just recently in 2022 that came out that says that, that Toronto ranks number seven as in, in the most congested traffic areas or, uh, in the world. Number seven. Ha, take that, Albertans. We're in number seven. That's horrible. See, real love is, is measured by what it costs to demonstrate love. Not just by financial means, but sacrifice. What we give up of ourselves just to show that love. We see this sacrifice in our passage. This Samaritan, he went to him, he bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. These are costly things. Then he, he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So just from that one verse, it's costing the Samaritan resources, the oil and wine. It's costing him energy. He's putting him on his own animal, making it, making it seem like, okay, there's only room for one. Now he has to walk all the way to town. And also his time. Remember, this Samaritan was on his way somewhere. He was on a journey. But now he has to take this detour to an inn just to take care of this man. But it doesn't stop there. It says in verse 35, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. A denarius was about a day's wage in ancient time. And so this man gave two days wage to this innkeeper to take care of this man, which is about, if you calculate it in, in our currency today, it's around 200 Canadian dollars. That's still a lot of money. All that to demonstrate the, this, this love to this complete stranger. That's the kind of love that we are called to demonstrate as well to our neighbors. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The same measure in which Christ demonstrated his love towards us in that he gave himself completely, sacrificed himself, his, his very life, to demonstrate and communicate God's love. We are to do the same to our neighbor. 
again, it's calling us to be imitators of God. And this is what God himself did. Notice, by the way, what did the Samaritan gain from all of this? What did the Samaritan gain from giving up his animal, from giving up oil and wine, paying for this man's uh, room at the inn? What did he gain? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Sometimes the reality is we're, we're called to love people who will give us nothing in return. That's okay. That's called sacrifice. We must not be like the world where, where their idea of love is transactional. Only, I, I'm only going to show you love because I know you'll give this back to me. I'll do this for you because I will, I will reap in, in favor later on. It'll be returned to me later on. This is, this is what Jesus means when he calls people to love their enemies, by the way. Because really, you can't expect anything back in return from your enemies. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. You get the comparison that Jesus is making here? In verse 34, he says, And if you lend to those who, whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. This is why Christ calls us to love our enemies, those that we would consider our enemies, because there's, there's no return. There's no re return for loving those that don't love us back. But that is a true demonstration of love. That is the standard by which God calls us people to love. And again, it is the expectation for God's people. Even more so when we share the gospel. We're called to share the gospel as an act of love without the expectation that people will respond favorably towards us. Or that they won't reject us, or that they won't mock us, or that they won't ridicule us in return. We're called to share the gospel anyways. And oftentimes I think that's the reason why we hesitate to share the good news of Jesus Christ, or outright refuse to share the good news, is because we are afraid that they will reject us. We are afraid that they will ridicule us, that we will, we will be ostracized. But that is a cost we ought to be willing to pay just to communicate God's love to others. Because our momentary discomfort is better than their eternity in hell. We must sacrifice to love. We must sacrifice to love. How do we do this? By application, be generous. Give freely, give abundantly your time, talents, and treasures. Be generous. Again, without expectation that you'll have anything in return. Another way we can do this is let your concern for the person outweigh the cost. Let your concern for the individual outweigh the cost. 
That's real love, right? Again, love without expectation. Sacrifice to love. Lastly, how do we prove to be a neighbor? Number three, we must secure responsibility. Secure responsibility. Look at verse 35 with me once more. It says, And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. I love that. Not only does the Samaritan bandage, bandage this man up, he gives him oil and wine for his wounds and puts him on his animal. Not only does he take him to the inn and, and pays for, pays for his, his, his rent with two days' wages, he also commits to paying for future needs, the future needs of this guy. And again, that he doesn't even know. He commits to coming back to check up on this individual. The Samaritan demonstrates what love ought to be. It's not, it's not isolated to a, a day or to an incident once a, the problem is solved, once the man is bandaged up. There's a commitment, there's a longevity to his love. Why? Because he's doing what the priests and the Levites refused to do and what oftentimes we refuse to do. He took responsibility for his neighbor. Responsibility. As we talked about earlier, it's the reason why we sometimes don't want to make eye contact with people who are suffering on the streets. When you see someone who's crying in the mall or something, you don't want to look at that person. You'll tell the kids, don't look at them, right? Because once you do, you have to take responsibility. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Carry each one, other's, one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When we walk with and, and, and help others, it's not just at that moment. It's a matter of taking responsibility for them, that brother of yours, that sister of yours, that stranger, that neighbor of yours, to fulfill this commandment to love our neighbor. Oftentimes we think, okay, I, I, I've, I've given, I've done my part, that's it. I've, I've, I've helped out, I, I've shared the gospel, I, I've done my part, you know, that's it. My hands are, my hands are clean. And that's the reality of it. And in truth, on some occasions, that's all we can do, really. But where it's possible, where it's possible to continue the relationship, to continue to help, to walk with someone in their faith journey, that is rising to the level, the standard of God, the standard of this good Samaritan. And, I, and as I said, it's the standard of God because it's... it's it's just as what the love of, that God demonstrates to us. He not only saved us, but he's also the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who sanctifies us, the one who preserves us until the day of Jesus Christ. He's the one who provides for our needs. He's the one who provides the Holy Spirit that we might grow and walk in his ways until Christ returns where he calls us home. God takes responsibility over his children in the same way, there must be a responsibility, a commitment for us when we take care of our neighbors. A responsibility beyond the initial demonstration of love. We must do the same. How, we, how do we do this? Well, simply follow up. Check in. Continue that relationship. Check in if there's any other needs when, after you've helped out the, the individual. 
You know, we, we talk about discipleship. Sharing the gospel is not simply going out to the streets and sharing the gospel to an individual, but rather making disciples. That requires a commitment to walk with an individual, to teach them, to go through the word of God with them, to pray with them, to check upon them on a daily basis. That's what we're called to do, by the way. Go and make disciples, not go and preach the gospel one time, and that's it. Don't just invite someone to church. Be, be, be their ride, right? Be the one to, to bring them to church. Be the one to, 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 to walk with them in their faith journey. There's another one, you know, get out of the habit of passing people off. Get out of the habit of passing people off. Sometimes we're so quick to pass people off, right? Again, you know, I, I've, I've done my part. I've, 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 I've brought this person to church. Now into Pastor Ian's hands, do I commit thee? And like, you know, now he'll take care of you. Like, no, pass him off to me. And we might even see this at the summer jam picnic, right? Well, we'll see at the summer jam picnic individuals, visitors that we don't know, guests, and sure, we'll talk for them for a moment, and, but I'm sure there's a sentiment of being eager to, to get out of that conversation so that we can go hang out with our friends and talk with someone else. Take responsibility for them. Take responsibility for our neighbors. Be the one to stay with them. Be the one to introduce them to other people. You don't need to be with them all the time, but be the first and last person they see. Take responsibility. Our mission to reach the loss with the gospel and to reflect Christ's love takes priority. Takes priority. So how do we prove to be neighbors? Again, from the, the, the example of this good Samaritan, we must stop to care. Stop to actually recognize and see not just the need or the problem of the individual, but see the worth and value of the individual, the image bearer that they are, so that that would motivate us to compassion, to seek justice for this individual. Stop to care. Secondly, we must sacrifice to love. Sacrifice to love. Love costs us something. Be ready to give. Be ready to, to give up time, talents, and treasures just to communicate the love of Christ to individuals. And secure a responsibility. Take responsibility for your neighbor. Be the one that walks with them. Don't let it just be a one-act thing. Don't let it just be an, a one-time uh, one conversation. Walk with them. Journey with them. Disciple them through the gospel. Just as we wrap up here, maybe you're thinking, you know, this is a, this is a tough call, right? It seems like we're just going to be just sacrificing all the time and being a doormat to everyone and getting nothing in return. But God's word actually promises us blessing and, and favor as a result of loving our neighbor. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for, for his name in serving the saints as you still do. In Proverbs, it says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. 
Again, in Proverbs, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That is a promise in God's word that when we minister to the needs of others, when we go and sacrifice just to be able to show love to others, that God meets our needs. God does not overlook our own problems, our own issues. Church, just as this good Samaritan proved to be a good, Samarit- or a good neighbor by, the, by his act of mercy to this man he came across, the stranger that he came across in the street, we are commanded by the Savior himself to go and do the same. Be a good neighbor. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.